Hello, everyone. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, bringing to you some of the best Cardinals talk on the web. Uh, we're going to be going over quite a few topics today. There's been a lot of Cardinals news in the last couple of days with OTAs. We're here to talk about it. My name is Blake. I'm the host, joined as always by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. Johnny, how are you doing right now? Good, Blake. It's great to be back. Like you mentioned, ton of quality topics to discuss tonight. Uh, the Cardinals just wrapped up off-season team activities, and we had a couple surprises and a, I think, a considerably um, could be impactful addition here in the last 24 hours. But Blake, I, I think the best place to start is the return of one Patrick Peterson to OTAs. He showed up uh, a couple days back after a lengthy, I don't know if you want to call it holdout, but the backlash following his suspension was heavy, and he had been noticeably frustrated with the franchise, had removed all kinds of Cardinal paraphernalia, logo, whatever, any kind of Cardinal ties from his social media. And so really he was pretty much digging in his heels over the better part of a month and a half, certainly since the draft, and it, it put the Byron Murphy edition um, that much more clear in the picture. Uh, it's been known uh, semi-recently that the Cardinals knew about the Peterson suspension upwards of three months, certainly before the draft. Uh, but regardless, Peterson has now returned uh, back at OTAs. He will be at, I would uh, suspect, once camp opens up later this summer. Um, and I don't know if he'll be manning his usual starting corner spot or if he'll rotate with the twos and threes, um, considering his status with the team right now. But Blake, what are your thoughts on Peterson and the situation that's unfolded here in the past, I don't know, four or five months with him? Yeah, I think, John, that the the best thing that happened overall for the Cardinals was that Patrick Peterson came back a week early. These were voluntary workouts. He were not mandatory. So for him to be able to come back in before the mandatory workouts, um, it just showed uh, an extra step as far as wanting to take an interest in the team, wanting to take an interest in the other players, whether it be Kyler Murray. He joked in his first practice that he was back about um, – picking him off at least or being gift wrapped and it was a uh, it felt like a friendly jibe even though he's not familiar with the quarterback uh, obviously at least seems like they're starting to get a bit more familiarity it also showed um in my opinion the uh a little bit of restoration with the team I know there's been a lot of questions of tension there's been questions of is Patrick Peterson going to be an Arizona Cardinal for the long run. And so it seemed like this was easily a step where Peterson could have decided to not show up to any of these workouts, could have only shown up when he was going to be missing money or shown up when – not shown up at all, I should say, at least, and effectively tried to demand another trade from the team or another holdout. Or There's many options that he could have taken. Instead, credit to him, he did take the high road um, in that sense of uh, – for his uh, from his story as soon as his wife came back and finished up the schooling and his daughter was free he was back at practice and again John it feels like to me that I think we've, we've talked about this too is it's almost like a case of two Patrick Petersons Charles Dickens had that tale of two cities uh, there's a lot of those cases of identity that you see throughout the years feels like we've got two Patrick Petersons almost there's the unhappy Patrick Peterson who you know ends up like you said, goes on a social media cri uh, crisis of sorts that gets attention. 
Patrick Peterson, who is frustrated, has an angry outburst with the team, a Patrick Peterson who demands to be traded. Now there's a Patrick Peterson who seems to be kind of restoring some of the good faith, is laughing, joking, and it seems like there's nothing going wrong, and all is well. It's like a happy Patrick and a sad Patrick. What are some of your thoughts on this? Is this something that we can expect moving on with Patrick Peterson? Is this going to be more of water under the bridge as soon as the suspension's over. What, what are some of your thoughts on this, John, as Peterson returns to the team for the first time following the suspension news? Yeah, my biggest takeaway is I think Peterson's status with the team is very much up in the air, both from Peterson's standpoint and the team's standpoint. And that may be kind of funny to phrase, but we remember last year him venting his frustrations with the franchise, um, pursuing a trade. Um, I don't think the team was anywhere close to trading him, certainly not at the deadline. Um, I would have explored that uh, considering his cap space and age, but I can understand why the team didn't. But you know, moving forward, let's say that the Cardinals do uh, conceivably well during his absence, both on the field and in the win column. Would that make it all the more likely that they opt to part ways with Peterson at some point if they're able to sustain a reasonable level of defensive play while Kyler Murray, let's say, emerges you know, in the first half of the season? Or is it a scenario in which the Cardinals struggle out of the gate, Peterson comes back, is he demanding additional trades? Um, you know, I, I think his trade value is all but dead at this point, especially with the suspension. Um, Considering his age, considering the, you know, the likelihood the package wouldn't be great at this point because he'd only have roughly a year, year and a half left on his, on his book. And so, in my opinion, I think the most likely scenario is that the team and Patrick Peterson part ways at the end of year two of this contract. I think Peterson will want to make every effort to, to reestablish himself as one of the top corners in football. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're going to get a motivated Patrick Peterson for the next, you know, season and a half, in my opinion. And that's going to benefit the Cardinals. In the meantime, you hope that Byron Murphy emerges if you want to add a corner or two in the draft or in free agency um, as, you know, a kind of a backup plan. If and when Peterson leaves, that's fine. But I just – I think Steve Keim or, you know, whomever is is running the show as GM, let's assume it's Steve Keim in a year. Um, I think Steve Keim is in a position where he probably feels like, I don't need to pay Patrick Peterson any more money. I've given him his, his you know, his, his uh, most lucrative contract. And so it's not good business to pay corners or defensive backs past the age of 30. And so I, I really do think he is on his last year and a half with the franchise. If we've seen anything, if, if, if um, Steve Kime wasn't willing to pay somebody like Calais Campbell, and I know that Campbell is not a Hall of Fame caliber player like Patrick Peterson, but he was coming off his best season and the Cardinals did not have a, a you know, reasonable replacement in-house and they still let him walk. I think we could see the same scenario with Patrick Peterson. I really do. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, like we said, with the happy Pat, sad Pat, if it's going to be a case where if the Cardinals are winning, like let's say you get to the end of his second year, you're similar to the Rams. You have an 11-12 win season where you've got talent around and things are going well. Perhaps Patrick just says, all right, let's go ahead. I like the direction where this team is going. Let's put a bow on it, Cardinal for life. Um, he maybe would be able to cement his place in uh, a ring of honor, which we'll uh, be able to talk a bit about the decision that was there. But I think that's, it's a case, John, from what we know of and what we can kind of suspect is that when he talked with Michael Bidwell, I'm guessing that Bidwell at least promised some sort of payday or extension for Patrick Peterson. 
at least at some level. Obviously, as you mentioned, we can't have it this year. But the big question will be, will Patrick want to go kind of the route of the kind of loved guy who will stay in Arizona? Or was he going to look at the mercenary route and say, hey, I've got one last big deal and one last big contract free agency. As we know, value gets inflated, guys, value goes up. I could see that very well being the case. Or perhaps if the Cardinals struggle and maybe it don't have a great season, maybe it's six and 10, you show positivity. Peterson still wants to hit the free agent market. That may be the best case of finding his proper value because you could then go into the off season, you know, where teams are picking in the draft. You'll know um, which teams believe they can compete and are just one piece away. And it'll have had obviously, you know, 10 games or so to, uh, you know, reestablish himself as the best corner in the league. So John, I think that we're going to reach a crossroads at the end of this year. Very curious to see what we'll be feeling about Patrick Peterson, um, especially for how the team plays when he's out. This offense I do think is going to be pretty fast and pretty uh, pretty right away be able to put up some numbers and some points uh, just due to the nature of it and also some of the element of surprise when Peterson comes back is going to be kind of the medal of when the team has the toughest most difficult part of their schedule so in that case it is kind of a blessing and it, it's a bit of a curse as well yeah absolutely and I do want to make this this final point I think that this has been a transitional period for the Cardinals and that the Peterson era of the team maybe not necessarily is over but I think outside of Larry Fitzgerald who is ageless and and pretty selfless I think we could all agree on that Um, and you know we could touch on this later but sounds like he wants to play a couple more seasons Uh, this is a new era of Cardinal football Peterson was very much a presence within the Bruce Arians era the latter half of Ken Wisenhunt's era Um, and so that's just that's the way it goes sometimes you're you're not going to be involved with with every team every year. And I just think that the way the Cardinals are trending now, they're trying to go younger. I, I would imagine they're going to try to go cheaper, especially here in the short term to shed a lot of that dead cap or to offset a lot of that dead cap. And they're investing a lot more in their offense than they should. They were historically bad last year offensively. So th- this team, I've said it for the last couple of weeks, this is Kyler Murray's franchise. Um, you know, he's, he's absolutely the face of this franchise right now. Don't let anybody tell you different. Um, and we're excited w- with what we're hearing out of OTAs. But, you know, the Patrick Peterson days of him being front and center, um, you know, as a team captain, you would think that those days are numbered, especially with the suspension. He was on the trajectory of being one of the greatest Cardinals ever. And I think he still could be. I think he's a ring of honor candidate, certainly a Hall of Fame player. But when you come out and are vehemently frustrated with the franchise, which we all get, demanding trades, suspensions, outbursts, um, you know, that – that doesn't sit well with management. And again, I'm not saying he was wrong by that regard. We see NBA players do it consistently. I think it's just the way of the new player now. Um, but I think that his his days with the franchise as being that focal point, you know, the center, the top three player with this team, I think those days are over. And I think now it's it's transitioning out of that era and into the Kyler Murray era. And some of that's the NFL and how defenses are played and uh, especially when you consider the Arians era, the Cardinals could eventually in their defense line anyone up across from Patrick Peterson and they'd be able to hold up. Now it seems like where the Cardinals have two years left on their deal. He's played exceptionally well, but I think you're right, John. It's not that it's transitioning away from with Peterson, but I think it's more of a, uh, it's more of a question of where the, the rest of the team, the needs, the NFL, a lot of those items have changed. And um, it is kind of an interesting area of if, if Larry Fitzgerald had retired, say, you know, 
at the end of the Bruce Arians era, you'd be looking at Patrick Peterson as literally the face of the franchise. Instead, now you're looking at a couple of competing factors with that as well. So that's been very interesting to me to see kind of that. And I don't know if that's part of the reason for why Patrick Peterson, maybe that's part of the reason why he's not as happy uh, as well as just the fact that uh, he wants to be that generational superstar Hall of Fame player um, he's already, as we've talked about, preparing for life after the NFL. Uh, I'm just happy that he's back in camp, and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, transitioning to the next big topic that we have right now, um, we're going to be talking about a new player addition to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals, as we talked about, the first in the waiver claim, a lot of benefits have already claimed guys like Farrell Cooper, DJ Swearinger, and more. Uh, they go ahead and put in a claim and are awarded Desmond Howard, former left tackle, of the Cleveland Browns started eight games last year. And this is interesting because it's not often that a player uh, uh, Desmond Harrison's caliber is released and let go. And usually if that is the case, it means that there is some baggage with Harrison. The baggage that seemed to come was that uh, just news out of Cleveland that he just didn't seem to be as much of a guy who was on time to meetings when he was benched for Greg Robinson, whether that was a political decision, whether Baker Mayfield liked Robinson better or, whether it was just a level of comfort. Uh, Robin, Robinson ended up taking over. The pass protection seemed to improve overall. And uh, earlier this year, uh, new head coach in Freddie Kitchens, Harrison gets cut. But this is a guy who is, uh, had a bit of baggage before. He was originally, I believe, committed to Texas, ended up leaving the program there, was, uh, I believe, a Ju- Juco for a little while, ended up at the I believe it was either the Senior Bowl or one of the Shrine games, got picked up by the Browns as an undrafted free agent. And was in line to take over for Joe Thomas, uh, ended up starting, uh, even had a pretty good run blocking um, grade, but a really good pass blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus stats. So, John, what are your thoughts on this signing? Is this a risk given what we know about the player? We're going to be talking about picking him up now, and then a couple weeks later he'll be off the team or cut before camp. Or is this going to be a guy you think has a chance to stick? And is the upside with the talent worth the risk? There is zero, and let me repeat, zero risk in this move for many different reasons. First of all, he's an undrafted free agent. He's got two years left on his deal for pennies on the dollar. I mean, he's making no money. He's an undrafted guy. It's not like he was a, you know, a top three-round player, and he's making decent money. He's not even making good rookie money. Okay, so let's, let's start out there, right? He's 25 years old and plays a top three position in the NFL quarterback, pass rusher, tackle, specifically left tackle, right? He started, he has starting experience in the NFL. How valuable would that have been to the Arizona Cardinals last year when they were trotting out street free agents and preseason guys in during the season who had no NFL experience, right? And that's the barometer for this team. Basically, how can you improve upon what the dumpster fire was last year? And again, I know there are so many DJ Humphrey truthers out there, people that believe in him. That's great. And when he plays well, I'm happy for him. But consistently, he has been inconsistent and he has been injured. You, there are two things you can, you, can, you can be sure of. it. That's DJ Humphreys is going to get injured at some point. If he's not already, he's rehabbing right now. There's no word on if he'll be 100% by, by minicamp. Um, and then also, he, he has not shown to be the player that the Cardinals thought they were getting, I think, 24th, 25th overall. With that being said, the Cardinals really had no capable backup tackle and swing tackle for that regard. Make no mistake, Marcus Gilbert is your right tackle. I don't think he's going to be threatened at the position. He has accomplished much more in this league than, than D.J. Humphreys has. Desmond Harrison, 
I believe, will compete for the left tackle job. They may give it to Humphreys to start out, but throughout the duration of camp and the preseason, it's going to be a battle, and it should be. The best player should play. He started eight games last season for a Browns team that showed a lot of improvement. Um, and, you know, I did some little bit of digging. He had five holding penalties in those eight games. He had two false starts. And all in all, I think he had about eight penalties. So not terrible, not great. Again, this is a undrafted free agent starting games as a rookie. Um, and I get it. They moved on from him. They were frustrated with his attitude or, or whatever. This is the kind of player that you claim if you have the first overall waiver claim. I know I would imagine two-thirds of the league, if not more, would have tried to claim him. It's a combination of the position he plays and the money that we are, aren't paying him in this case and his age that make it all the more likely that this move Again, Blake, if he comes in this year and is your swing tackle and never plays it down because DJ Humphreys plays well, that's a, that's a success. Yep, you draft somebody definitely. in the on day three of the draft and they're a swing tackle or a, or a backup lineman, that's that's a successful player. And then the Cardinals, there there is literally nothing to lose here. I love it. Obviously, the high end upside is that he beats out Humphreys and plays well, plays 18 games. Uh, one of the reasons I like him is you know, he got benched last year, but he wasn't injured. The Cardinals have had issues keeping offensive linemen on the field based on injuries. And we remember, I think somebody messaged me on, on Twitter and said, well, what about him getting benched last year? Is that a bad omen? Bobby Massey was once benched as a young player and then came back and had a really nice crew with the Cardinals. They opted not to sign him. He is still starting games at right tackle for the Chicago Bears. The Cardinals, I'm sure, would have killed to keep Bobby Massey knowing what they know now. So if this turns out to be another scenario in which he's, this is a young man who had some early growing pains and can come in next year and fight for a starting job at the age of 25. He's born in 1993. He's a baby still. Um, and you look at him, you look at him in the pictures. He looks like he's well-developed now. He's put on some muscle. Um, hopefully this is a wake up call. It's motivated him. The NFL is a no nonsense league with regard to coaching and, you know, putting up with this kind of thing. So you get him around Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Maybe it reinvigorates him a little bit. He wants to pr prove it to the Browns. We play the Browns this year, as you know. So I, I love the move. I, I hope I would hope I hope that there would be an addition like this this offseason where the Cardinals acquired a, a starting caliber tackle. I just assumed it would be an older veteran like a Donald Penn, but this guy you talk about having way more upside at a younger age and a lower price point. It's a win-win for me, Blake. Yeah, I think the win for me comes from the fact that it's such a little investment that if it doesn't turn out well, then you're able to cut bait. Like I know you'd compared Bobby Massey. The biggest question for me, I think, and this is what many Browns fans had also, was how much of the issues were his own kind of internal motivation because the news obviously was he missed a flight to camp, was late reporting to minicamp, which, you know, you can talk about attention detail. There's a, I haven't heard something like that since Ryan Mallett apparently was one who slept in and completely missed the team flight, at least was, I think, the other uh, interesting story that was like that uh, as far as with, um, you know, dedication and a level of maturity. And so it is going to be ultimately the fact that this is kind of a second chance, another opportunity. Um, the biggest question, obviously, is going to be, is his work ethic and his dedication something? Uh, there, there, there were three times that um, Harrison was suspended. I, I keep thinking Desmond Howard in my head, but that's not the, that's not the guy at all, unfortunately. Um, three times that he was suspended at Texas, at least. Um, hasn't had any issues with that so far in the NFL. The biggest thing, obviously, then, is going to be the work ethic. He's a, a bit lighter in the pants at about 292 pounds. 
Um, you're probably wanting to get him over 300 or so to put some weight on. It is going to obviously take some work, and it is going to be a spot where if he does want it, then you're right, John, there's absolutely opportunity here for him, even if it's not going to be as a – you know, as a starting player, if you're going to be the swing tackle behind DJ Humphreys, as history has kind of told us for the most part, you are probably going to end up getting some playing time throughout the season. Humphreys is, you know, played in, I think it's like what, 25 or something like that games, and he's entering his fifth season in the league. It's crazy how much time he's missed. And the fact that you're able to have that opportunity, uh, maybe this is a fresh start, you seize it, work hard. That's all he really has to do is just show up and be able to take advantage of the talent. If he isn't going to take advantage, of that then that's going to be an easy choice I think for the Cardinals to make and uh, I'm excited and looking forward to you know seeing what the tackle situation will look like I know that with um one thing that will be very interesting to me is the um like you said Donald Penn is still out there at least maybe that's a late signing if you're in training camp and things are going awry um but the other thing that will be interesting is to see if um I think it's Russ. Uh, let me double check at least for his name for that one. I think it's Russ. Uh, I am Debo. I think I have that right over here at least for that one. But that was one guy who uh, I think I would watch him just in case. Let's say that DJ Humphreys continues with health issues. Let's say that there's other issues in pass direction. Uh, it's Reese Odeham, Ode, Ode, Odeyambo. That's his name. Uh, check out because that would that's be another one. possibility at least. Oh, yeah. I was like having to try to remember the name for that one. But check out and double. That will be one of the things that will be interesting because if DJ Humphreys goes into camp, and he's, you know, got a lock on the job. He's the unquestioned starter. Or if, you know, he ends up splitting some reps at least, or if you end up seeing another couple tackles are there, or if it seems like it's a battle that actively takes place in camp, that's going to be something that should be concerning for Cardinal fans with their left tackle. And that's why to have a guy who's at least started some games in the NFL, who's got some upside um, to kind of duke it out with Corey Cunningham, that gives a lot of relief, I think, to a lot of Cardinals fans who know that the offensive line is currently the weakest spot on the team. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and we can move on from um, Desmond Harrison. Uh, again, this will be interesting to see. It's one thing that I like with the Cardinals and that first waiver wire pick, but we've got probably one of the other biggest stories that we have from camp to go over before we head up with the third thing of big news. Uh, let's talk a bit about just with the word on Kyler from some of the players, the rest of the OTA stuff that we're hearing. I know that some of the news that I can at least um, – can pass on that we've heard today is that Andy Isabella is expected to kind of be working on the inside, according to at Mike Clay. Um, some people have debated whether Isabella is an inside or an outside receiver. There's a lot to kind of figure out, John, as far as the the wide receiver position. Trent Sherfield obviously is another guy. He's very motivated this year to uh, to make the team, to be able to make the roster, even to try to see if he can be a starter week one and hold off some of those rookies. So, uh, what what is what do you think kind of so far with how these receivers and how this is all playing out? And then how do you think it's going to play out as far as with Kyler Murray from what we've seen as far as practice right now, the biggest thing that we know about Cliff Kingsbury's offense is more outside of that. They're going to be in shotgun that we're guessing they'll have more 11 personnel from how he's talked about Charles clay. And just because of the roster setup, you're going to need some bigger guys to be special teamers. You can't just have all wide receivers on the roster. And then if a player goes down or gets hurt and you're suddenly, you know, not able to run your offense because you've got, you know, only four wide receivers left. And the fact that it's going to be pretty fast paced, maybe not Chip Kelly fast of pace, but at least a pretty quick pace to no huddle. 
there's really nothing else that we know about this offense. So talk a bit about how you see some of the shaking out, John, and then how you think the receivers are going to be just to kind of preview that battle for training camp. Yeah, I think the quote from Larry Fitzgerald today was that Kyler Murray knows the system better than the veterans do at this point, and that shouldn't surprise anybody, his relationship with Cliff Kingsbury, his knowledge of really the kind of offense that's being built. Let's face it, it's being built around Kyler Murray. That's essentially been the plan since February, since they made the decision, whomever you want to choose to believe, that they were taking um, Kyler Murray in the draft. Um, this this offense should be and is very familiar with Kyler Murray. And for somebody like Larry Fitzgerald, who played in a you know historically ancient offense last year with Mike McCoy, it's going to be a little bit transition. Um, Fitzgerald really has not played in a system like this, gosh, in his entire career. You go back to the Wizen Hunt days that were uh, super conservative, seven, five to seven step drops, a lot, a lot of play action. Uh, Arians did a lot of the same thing. Um, and then, of course, last year we saw that train wreck in person. So, um, you know, I'm excited for the team and, and the opportunities that it's going to give a lot of guys. I think that's something that's not being discussed enough, at least by, you know, national pundits. I think the fantasy guys, like you mentioned, Mike Clay, are starting to key in on the fact that Cardinals are going to have probably four or five receivers that are actively involved in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Isabella, of course, you and I have, have predicted, Blake, he is going to spend majority of his time in the slot. But then you think about, okay, then the Cardinals have three or four other receivers that they like that are going to be interchangeable. I think at the end of the day, I think they're going to keep Larry Fitzgerald in the slot, just in my opinion, uh, based on his success over the past three or four years. Uh, I I don't think he's got the speed right now to be able to to utilize him to the best of Kingsbury's scheme on the outside. I think that, of course, you can move him around, but I I think Larry is the big-bodied receiver, kind of de facto, maybe sub-package tight end. Certainly can block, but he's not going to be, you know, an, you know, offensive lineman tight end in that regard. But I think at some point we, the team wants to see Hakeem Butler snatch one of those outside receiver roles. I think he is the only one you can definitively say will be an, an outside receiver. You know, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. His ability to run sub four five. He was one of the best deep ball threats last year. It's big. It's physical. I mean, he is something the Cardinals have not had really since Fitzgerald was younger or Michael Floyd a couple years ago when right. he was playing well. Um, and then you mentioned Trent Shurfield and then, of course, Christian Kirk. Kirk, to me, at this point, is is very much capable of playing outside. Uh, you, we've seen guys like Golden Tate have success on the outside, somebody who Kirk compares very favorable, favorably to. Uh, and so I, I would venture to say that, you know, Kirk and and um, Akeem Butler, once Butler begins to start, will be the outside receivers. Isabel and Fitzgerald will play underneath. Trent Shearfield's an interesting case because I think that he was a darling of the previous coaching staff, and I think mm. Steve Kime likes him. So he's somebody that's going to have to, you know, bust it on special teams, of course. Um, and then I think he is somebody, along with, uh, you know, the, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, who they took in the sixth round, um, they're, they're both going to have to try to find their niche role offensively inside or out. And so I think that that's more when we, we, we will see that in the preseason where they're definitively going to play. Um, but we haven't get, been given any indication up until this point. I think the only thing that, that's definitive, Blake, is that David Johnson is the starting running back. They don't run a lot of dual running back sets, at least to my knowledge. They didn't take a running back. They've got Chase Edmonds, who they like, and, of course, TJ Logan from the year before. Um, but then, of course, you know what's to be at the tight end position? How much are they going to be utilizing the tight end position? Do they prefer hybrid tight ends? I, I think that a lot of this is being kept under wraps for good reason. But I do know that 
at, at some point, the focal point of the offense, you know, of course, outside of Kyler Murray, is feeding the likes of Fitzgerald, Butler, Isabella, and Kirk in the passing game, and then DJ out of the backfield. Other than that, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, to me it's interesting because you're right in how uh, Keyshawn Johnson feels like the forgotten man when you're talking about the Cardinals receivers. And when people are saying, hey, like, who's going to be getting the outside targets? It seems like it's Akeem Butler. Butler did do a lot in the slot to make use of that speed. As far as with his separation, he had issues at times separating. But due to the fact that his frame was just so large, whenever you did get him into space, he would separate. It was just uh, – it'll be interesting to see that transition. Keyshawn Johnson, from what most people said, is probably the – purest of the three as far as a route runner and when you're talking about Keyshawn Johnson you're also saying like this is a guy who did play outside at um, I believe it was Fresno State and uh, when you're looking at him he's a 6'1 200 pound guy um, he's got a probably a pretty good at least overall vertical his 40 yard dash is a little bit slower but again as we've seen you don't necessarily need to have a be a burner or be a speed guy for the most part if your goal is going to be getting those contested or possession catches I could see some examples where the Cardinals really do shift things around but I could see it where for the most part Larry Fitzgerald stays inside but then they'll end up switching things out where suddenly you've got Fitzgerald on the outside you could put Andy Isabella on the outside where you kind of are going to be running him deep to take the top off the defense and then that's going to open up Christian Kirk underneath you'll be able to move David Johnson around also underneath Um, you'll be able to have those burners open up room for that underneath game. And then you could even then move Hakeem Butler inside to a spot where he really thrived um, in a lot of different ways, being able to run with the deep ball. But you then all of a sudden are going to get complete mismatches just based on how you're moving it where, not to say use Fitzgerald as a decoy, but in that sense of you don't need to be like the Bruce Arians Cardinals where you – are having to completely run everyone, you know, as speed guys on the outside and then inside it has to be your your big guys like your tight ends like Jermaine Gresham and Fitz. Um, you can even see with when Cliff Kingsbury had his previous offensive guys, he did a great job of adapting to his best weapons. You saw with this last year, um, he took a lot of deep shots to a big 6'4 guy in Antoine Wesley. You can easily see Hakeem Butler filling in that role. could even see a Fitzgerald filling in that role for the most part every once in a while. And you can also see, I think, the interior of the speed game that you can have uh, from similar to Oklahoma, where they had Marquise Brown. You could look at some of those similarities with Andy Isabella. So I think that it's going to be fun to see. I think that the biggest thing that we do know for the most part right now is that they love Charles Clay because of his versatility. I think that when we looked at the Cardinals last year, they spoke of versatility. And in actuality, it was that they just didn't have an identity or know how they won. I think with Cliff Kingsbury, it's going to be this idea of we've got a Swiss army knife with all sorts of different ways that we can beat you. Like you've got a big guy, you've got fast guys, you've got Fitzgerald, you can move David Johnson in as a receiver, and you can even run the ball with Kyler Murray, whether that's on designed on a scramble or even actually a designed run or an RPO. So uh, I'm kind of a big fan of that. I'm also a fan of what a lot of the Cardinals players have said. Uh, today, Larry Fitzgerald is the one gave an interview as his first time talking about Kyler Murray. I know we have haven't had a chance to really talk about the con- the uh, comparisons that were made. Um, we heard from what's David Johnson, Christian Kirk. They compared it not to a guy like, uh, let's say, I know Russell Wilson, but they compared it straight to Patrick Mahomes. And you said with Larry Fitzgerald, Fitz was, you know, he's, he's a few praise about a lot of different guys, but uh, Fitzgerald was a big fan overall of him. 
uh, with Kyler Murray for all of that. And I think it's really interesting because it's, you know, you want to obviously hear the coveted praise for the most part with him. And uh, I'm excited at least to see that, you know, Larry Fitzgerald can be sold on this guy. Maybe it means Fitz sticks around for a season or two longer than we anticipate. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the ascension of Kyler Murray was always one that was going to be enticing for Larry Fitzgerald. We said the same thing about Josh Rosen last year. If, if things had gone differently, we might have seen Fitz sign a, a multi-year deal. I think that basically what ended up happening was Fitz gave his, you know, his, the word to the, to, the, to the franchise early in the offseason basically on blind faith because uh, he didn't know what was going to happen with Josh Rosen. But uh, I absolutely think that, Records mean something to Larry, and I also think that Larry's seen a lot of these young quarterbacks, specifically on rookie deals, have success and playoff success early. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky went to the postseason this past year. Um, and so you can turn around a team fairly quick if, you, if you've got the right quarterback on the right rookie contract. And so I'm sure Larry's thinking about that elusive Super Bowl ring in combination to adding to his Hall of Fame credentials and um, not passing Jerry Rice by any means, those are unattainable, but at least sniffing um, and solidifying himself as the second greatest receiver of all time and maybe padding his illustrious postseason statistics. I, I think if Larry feels good and Larry is productive and Larry likes the system, that's, that's why I'm so confident he's going to remain in the slot. Um, you know, Larry's the kind of individual that just goes about his business and is very much a safety blanket that, uh, you know, a young quarterback thrives with and I mentioned tight end because that's really what I look I he is very much a hybrid tight end at this point and that's not a knock on Larry I mean he's approaching mid-30s right now and and for any player to, to play this long is a, is a testament to him and his you know his ability to stay fit his nutrition plan all that good stuff and I think mean, it's just a, a tremendous resource for not only Kyler but these young receivers um, especially with with all the you know the chaos that's going on let's face it in the front office defensively with Patrick Peterson um, the Cardinals are very lucky to have Fitzgerald in the fold this year and many more years to come. Yeah, I think you're right. That's where, and we are, uh, we are kind of not the beneficiary of the best quarterback play over time in, uh, in the state of Arizona. So um, I know that the, uh, I know what everyone really wants us to talk about as far as with the, um, with the Arizona Cardinals is going to be the visors, the sunglasses, the shades, the visors that are sweeping over the team. Sorry, not the podcast for you for that. We're going to go and spend probably the rest of this uh, time together going over the decision with the Arizona Cardinals, the call. It was a, I guess maybe a surprise to some, but it made sense and clicked for everyone once the announcement was made. But Carson Palmer started for five years, Arizona Cardinals acquired from the Oakland Raiders for just the cost of essentially a sixth round pick. Um, I believe it was turned into AJ Jefferson or something like that for the Vikings in a strange sort of trade in that sense. But uh, the Arizona Cardinals are adding Carson Palmer to the ring of honor. Uh, he's officially going to join um, some of the other well-esteemed members, at least that what you're talking about. Kurt Warner, who was recently inducted. You're talking about some of the longtime, longstanding ones as far as going all the way back um, to um, with the original Bidwell owners. Um, you're going to be talking about Charles Bidwell, who was the uh, kind of original owner of the team. You're also going to be looking at, um, I got the list of names at least right here for you for, um, uh, where is it? Yeah, so you got um, Patty Driscoll, Marshall Goldberg, a Night Train Lane, Ollie Matson, Ernie Nevers, 
getting to uh, the Chicago Cardinals days or shooting it back to the real old times, at least Charlie Trippy. Then you get into some of the big names like Larry Wilson's, the Dan Deerdorf's, the uh, incomparable Pat Tillman, Roger Worley, Aeneas Williams, Kurt Warner. Uh, then now uh, we have a title for him, at least as far as assistant director of um, pro scouting and Adrian Wilson, uh, the jet stream, Roy Green. And now the last two are both quarterbacks in uh, maybe even the last two are <laughs> the truest long-term franchise quarterbacks you've seen in Jim Hart and Carson Palmer now. So, John, let's talk about this because this is something that swept through Twitter because of whether – I don't know if it was controversial or not. We're kind of on the same page here, but let's at least ask the question, does Carson Palmer deserve to be in the Cardinals' ring of honor? Yes. A thousand times yes. That's the, the second easiest question that was asked tonight outside of the, the Desmond Harrison claim <laughs> that the Cardinals made. So a couple softball questions tonight. Um, listen, uh, I get it. You've got people from a national perspective lambasting the Cardinals that think that this is unwarranted. Uh, are they not putting together the correlation that the Cardinals are one of the statistically and historically one of the most unsuccessful franchises, not only in the NFL, but the history of pro sports? With Carson Palmer, they were a Super Bowl contender. They had their best five-year stretch in the history of the franchise. I get it. Kurt Warner is probably the greatest quarterback in the history of the franchise. Jim Hart, whatever you want to – those guys are one and two. In a lot of people's regard, I have no problem with that. My dad grew up with the Jim Hart Cardinals. People have a lot of love for those – you know, those Cardinals of the 70s, multiple Hall of Famers, Dan Deerdorf. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay, then the team had about a 20-year period of irrelevance, right? And you've got Neil Lomax thrown in there. You know, somebody threw Jake Plummer at me the other day. Jake Plummer's best season was 9-7. and seven. They went to the postseason. His numbers, and I get it for the time, it was a different time in the NFL, were um, average at best. Carson Palmer played at an all-pro level in 2015, was undefeated as a starter before going down to injury in 2014, I, in his first year, which was a transition year in 2013, won 10 games in, I think, the toughest division of the past 10 years in the NFC when you talk about the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks, the, um, the San Francisco 49ers who had just been to a Super Bowl and had, I think, three straight NFC championship appearances, and then the Rams who were always tough, and then the Cardinals somehow won 10 games that season with a bunch of scraps, no offensive line, no running game. Carson Palmer... Um, his stats weren't fantastic, but they were good enough. And uh, that team was humming at the end of the season. And multiple teams said, this is a team we don't want to see in the postseason with the way Carson was playing. Of course, had the injury the next season, the 2015 season. Um, they were one of the most uh, explosive teams in the NFL. And just they ran into a hot Carolina Panthers team that was probably the best team in the NFL all season. And so, in my opinion, Carson Palmer is the, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, is the second greatest quarterback in franchise history. I didn't see Jim Hart play. Um, Carson Palmer, to me, is in the Hall of Very Good in the NFL. That certainly makes him um, worthy of the Cardinals' ring of honor. And, God, let's face it, everybody's going to have issue because of the fact that certain players who are either as deserving or more deserving aren't in. Let's not let that belittle the fact that Carson should be in. I thought it would yeah. probably happen down the line, maybe five years down the line. Um, but I, I don't mind not waiting. The Cardinals need some good mojo right now publicly. <laughs> so what's the difference inducting him in 2019 or 2025? It doesn't matter to me. Um, and we can also, you know, it's obvious that 
Michael Bidwell, the, the Cardinal franchise, if you leave on bad terms, no matter what you did for this franchise, and I'm not saying this is right, but if you leave on bad terms and you had a, a very good career worthy of the Ring of Honor, the Cardinals will wait to put you in or won't put you in at all. Jackie Smith falls into that regard. Anquan Bolden falls into that regard. I mean, there are players that deserve it. Absolutely. Anquan Bolden's a, a borderline Hall of Fame player and deserves <laughs> to be in the Ring of Honor. Jackie Smith, is he in the Hall of Fame? He's one of the greatest yep. tight ends. In, He's in the, the Hall of Fame. He's yeah, in the, his, yep. in the history of the NFL. But he had correlation to the St. Louis Cardinals. So maybe they're, you know, they're not feeling like that's all super necessary. But, like, I get it. Those players should be in too. But let's not diminish. It's like what we do with the Baseball Hall of Fame where, you know, you got certain guys get in and other guys don't. And you try to belittle the guys that are going in for the guys that aren't going in. I mean, it's like it, it, it boggles the mind because I think, at the end of the day, I mean, you listen to Carson Palmer talk and how much it means to him and how much he relates to the Cardinal franchise more than any other franchise. He had good to great seasons with Cincinnati. I mean, he, he made the playoffs multiple times. He considers himself, I would think, an Arizona Cardinal above anything else. And you think about, had Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians been together day one in the NFL with the Cardinals? I mean, we Carson Palmer, I think, would have a chance to go down not only is he the greatest Cardinal quarterback ever, but a Hall of Fame caliber player. I mean, injuries aside, you can't predict injury. The Bengals were incredibly dysfunctional, wasted his talent multiple years. He got, he comes to Arizona with Bruce Arians, who's his kingmaker. They immediately become a competitive team and almost a Super Bowl team overnight. And Steve Kime had a lot to do with that. So, in my opinion, Carson Palmer, who went 29-9 and over a three-year stretch, which is just based on what you saw last year, for any Cardinal quarterback to win 29 games in three seasons, have a, have a, have a winning percentage of 29-9, and whatever that equates to, almost a 3-1 ratio, that's insane. Cardinals won three games last year and have been historically bad, not only at the quarterback position, but in general. Uh, I think that it's entitlement of Cardinal fans who have just, you know, for whatever reason, just come on board of this franchise. But you and I, Blake, that have seen this team struggle for, you know, at least on my end, for 25-plus years, for our parents that have followed this franchise, ineptitude. Carson Palmer was a breath of fresh air, somebody who you could go into battle with. I mean, don't pull up the game logs from, from him in 2015. His, his national TV games against Cincinnati, against a playoff team like Minnesota, you know, three touchdowns. That Sunday night game in Seattle where they came back and he – played a phenomenal fourth quarter, leading that game-winning drive. I mean, multiple examples. The Cardinals have trouble scoring points, much less winning games. I think they were the number one offense in the NFL in 2015. I mean, they, they broke all sorts of records, certainly team records. He holds the most touchdowns in, the, in uh, a single season. Uh, we're all hoping Kyler Murray is the next, you know, great quarterback for this franchise, certainly the best that they've ever drafted. But, you know, you've got to give Carson, Carson Palmer his credit. And I know it didn't end great just because his body broke down, but I think that's more of a detriment to the franchise not having a contingency plan in place and taking somebody like a Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes for him to hand the baton off to when he went down that last season. That was more, right. I think, on the franchise than Carson Palmer himself. So I'm, I'm excited for he and his family. Well-deserved. I'm glad I got to witness his, his glory years in Arizona. And uh, he, he's a top three, top two quarterback for me, Blake. Yeah, I'd agree. I think when you talk about the Cardinals and the, when you talk about with who are the Cardinals era, like we've mentioned, you know, the Jim Hart, you also have the Neil Lomax era, even though that was cut short by arthritis. You get into the 90s. Zero playoff appearances, yeah, by the way. Yeah, exactly. I know that was, that was just rough, at least because, you know, it was a, 
it was he was such an optimal like kind of guy at the right time for that one um what's interesting about Jim Hart was that a part of the reason he doesn't make a lot of those lists for Cardinals players is he was undrafted at the time for that year no they didn't spend a pick on him and the other quarterback that they had at the time uh, basically is like, sorry, I've got ROTC duty I have to go to. And so he took over. It's like that was when football was just a different era, whereas now the uh, was not any type of another controversy isn't, you know, having to fulfill military duty, but going from the Major League Baseball to the uh, to the NFL draft. But you talk about the 70s, you think Jim Hart, you go through the 80s, you think of Neil Lomax, you go through the 90s, the person that pops up, obviously, is going to be um, Jake Plummer. And then we go through the 2000s, it's this mismatch for the most part, but you still think through the 2000s, you think of Kurt Warner. That's the name that comes to mind. He was there for the, at least five years, I believe, for that one. You get to the 2010s, you think of Carson Palmer. That's the face of the Arizona Cardinals. And when you realize that we're in the year 2019, Kyler Murray's not going to be the face of the 2010s for the Cardinals anymore. He may be the face of the 2020s and moving forward for the Arizona Cardinals. So please, please. That's that's what obviously the hope is for that one. But that's where I think where you're right about with, um, I think the friendship with Michael Bidwell is one part of it. Obviously there's maybe some stuff that could be in store. Um, they'll be obviously putting his name into the ring of honor this season, having a nice little ceremony for that. Perhaps it's even going to be almost like a, a sort of olive leaf to be able to have him be around the team a little more. Maybe it's going to be sort of a spot of a, he's obviously in retirement. He's not going to leave his hunting to be able to go back to the team to do any sort of coaching, but you've got another ambassador who's, for a really strong and intents and purposes for your team, very much like Kurt Warner, who identifies not with their previous team. Um, Carson Palmer played 96 games with the Bengals, played 60 with the Arizona Cardinals, obviously would have played more, had some injury issues throughout that time period in 2014 and uh, through 2017 as well. But he's kind of identifies himself as a Cardinal. You got to see his excitement. He went on sour terms with the Bengals. The Bengals, of course, don't have a ring of honor. And I was listening to some of the Bengals fans who went over and talked about it. And it was kind of a spot of it feels like when Carson Palmer says something, I wish I'd gotten to Arizona sooner. It's kind of the, the same feeling that you had was wondering if he had gotten there a little bit earlier or if, you know, things had just worked out a little bit differently. You'd be looking at him as, um, you know, one of the greatest Arizona Cardinals of all time versus having to even have a debate to begin with. Um, I don't think it's a negative that we have to say, here's the standard for the Arizona Cardinals is one close to MVP caliber season in 2015 from Palmer and some great, you know, average 10 win seasons throughout over the next, you know, four to five years that he played. But it is a definitely a sign, John, that that's kind of the standard that we look for in the ring of honor, but it is an extra sign of it's not just production that puts you into the ring of honor it's about the character it's about obviously being an ambassador for the game it's about the type of leader that you are and that's I believe what the Arizona Cardinals truly wanted to honor was Palmer's contributions to the the era of the 2010s for the Arizona Cardinals I think there will be more people who do go into the Cardinals ring of honor over time and um, who are either actively still in the league or will be part of that era because Palmer retired, I think it's a lot easier to see. But let's let's talk at least about who are some of the other people who maybe would have gone into the ring of honor before Carson Palmer, maybe people who you could, maybe if you want to argue before some who should be in there already. I think the obvious one to me is it's as soon as we get to the end of his illustrious career, you're going to just rename it the Larry Fitzgerald ring of honor. Like that ring will be named. Yeah. We don't even need to touch that. Don't even need to talk about that one. It's just, it's obvious for all of that. So let's talk about some of the other names that are there and see if we can, are there ways that we can 
project who might be other ones who belong. You mentioned, obviously, Jackie Smith and Anquan Bolden. Bolden played for a few teams, but I think most people still think of him as a Cardinal from that Super Bowl year. He, he just he didn't spend enough time with the Niners or the Ravens or, you know, he was, what was it? He played a didn't even play a season for the Bills before retiring. So Bolin's one who stands out. What are some other names, John, that you would have that you would believe would go into the ring of honor, either who should already be there or who could we be potentially anticipating as names mentioned in the future? There are, I'm going to kind of cheat because there are two of them are from the same draft. I think that it's tough. Dansby, in my opinion, if he had played his cards differently, if the franchise had done a better job in, in handling his cap situation. Uh, Dansby should have been a, a Cardinal for 10 years. Carlos Dansby had three stints with the team. None of them really ended up at a, at a Pro Bowl season. So he is a fringe guy for me, but I think it's mismanagement on the Cardinals' end. And it lack a little bit of lack of loyalty on Dansby's end. But that I think that's the biggest uh, kind of, you know, one where you wish that things had gone a little bit differently. But from that same draft, I think Darnell Dockett, to me, is somebody that deserves to be in. But again, you know, he's been outspoken about the franchise lately. Even after retiring as a Cardinal, they had that nice press conference for him. Um, he's been outspoken on social media, talking about, you know, specifically, I think, with regard to the Peterson situation, that there are snakes in the building, that kind of thing. And that doesn't sit well with Michael Bidwell. But again, all that aside... Dockett, I think, is is very deserving. He was somebody who helped with the culture change being drafted in that uh, Fitzgerald draft in 2004. Somebody who was really, I mean, before Dockett got there, they had really kind of no identity defensively. He came in, you could argue, um, selflessly played out of position, especially from 2007 on, uh, being asked to play the 3-4 and the 5 technique. A little bit undersized. I mean, imagine, I think he would have had a borderline Hall of Fame career had he played as a you know four three defensive tackle, um, and in, in you know a different in a different era a different scheme, um, but he had I I believe he had three Pro Bowl seasons with the Cardinals two thousand seven two thousand nine two thousand ten, but of course I think his best season was two thousand eight in route to the Super Bowl appearance, and of course being one of only two players and the first player to have three sacks in a Super Bowl game, I think Keon Ely did it with Carolina a couple of years later. Uh, but just the tone that he set, the fact that he was part of not only the Wizenham playoff teams, but the Arians playoff team, somebody who is super aggressive, a huge locker room guy, um, somebody you know you could go to bat with every Sunday. The Cardinals had a tenacious run defense during his tenure. Um, he'd always give you between five and eight sacks every season. So uh, I think he's the one that jumps out. And then, of course, I'm sure you're going to touch on this plate. Calais Campbell is another one. Of course, he's still playing. You talk about an ambassador for the game, doing everything right on and off the field. It's one of the greatest second-round picks in the history of the Cardinal franchise. Those two stick out for me, Blake. Yeah, those two stick out partially because of the – not just the same draft, but it's also the fact of when you're talking about star players in the league – both were star players, even Calais last year. He's very much been always kind of considered that underrated type of player. Uh, I think that one, to me, when you're talking about solid play and longevity, he played from 2008 to 2016 with the team. And because he was such a genuine guy, did a lot with the community, I think that he's a guy that very well could belong in the Cardinals' ring of honor. Um, I think the one that's interesting to me is with Darnell Dockett, where his retirement, um, I, it's curious because – 
I could see it being the case where the Arizona Cardinals, because of what they look at with character and other stuff and Dockett, he's always a personality. He's always a big character. He is who he is. He's kind of one of those guys. So he's just a, an interesting and out there dude. You know, the, there was, you know, the, what do you want to call it? Like the fake, um, whether it was him posing with a tiger, people wonder if he'd actually purchased it or like tweeting out from jury duty and all these different things that happen where I could see the Cardinals just being like, Oh, we don't want to have him go to the ring of honor. And then there's some type of controversy that pops up. Um, I agree with you on Carlos Dansby that he, to me is he's to me is on the bubble. Um, I think that I would definitely have Anquan and yeah, Carlos is on the bubble, on the bubble sure. because he came back and had a second stint, but it was a one season stint. And then he left right again for free agency. And that I think is what made it tough is because when he came back the third time, it was the end of his career. He hasn't played past 2017. Um, that was just the one that was the toughest, I think, to be able to look at was because at that point he was kind of a beat up shell of himself. He lost his job partway through to Josh Bynes. And I, I think it was great that he was an ambassador. It was fun to have him back. But like you said, it was uh, it was just a spot where I think that there's guys who are in the, the ring of very – like you, you talk about the Hall of Very Good, not the Hall of Fame. I think he's almost in kind of a ring of very good. And as far as yeah, being a great true way ambassador, as far as being a true ambassador for the Cardinals, the type of person you want to hold up, Carson Palmer absolutely, to me, typifies that. He's a guy that you'll want to have like, hey, it's a national Monday night football game. In the third quarter, we're bringing up Carson Palmer into the booth to talk about some of the stuff he's doing with the Cardinals, the post-retirement, breaking down the new quarterbacks. Just, that's the exact thing that you can see him doing it's not the type of thing I think that you're going to see with Carlos Dansby so for me some of the guys that I would take a look at the biggest one to me obviously is and this is kind of tough is um Simeon Rice would be the one that I would probably put in what's fascinating to me was I took a look at him and even though he spent four years with the team still probably the leader in um, sacks and pass rushing and just had a dominant player that was just at a, a different time in the NFL um Chandler Jones if he has a big year this next year will essentially pass Simeon Rice as far as his numbers that he put up, whether it's sacks, tackles, everything. So Chandler Jones seems like he's a guy where if he, even if he finishes his contract, if you're going to argue Simeon Rice, who is a guy who's a Hall of Famer, a fantastic player, should be in the Cardinals ring of honor. And he's been a, a great guy you know, off the field and in retirement as well. You might I, make I, the case I, for I Chandler, Chandler, Chandler Jones long term there. Yeah. yeah. I think Chandler Jones, one more solid season does it for him. That's four seasons with the team. That's a great one. I didn't really think about current players. Um, but, yeah, he's – I mean, you talk about he has 17 sacks season two seasons ago. Yep. He's never had less than 11 and has averaged roughly 14 with this franchise a season. Uh, I think if he notches 8 to 10 uh, the next two years, I think he's in easily. I think he'll go down as arguably the greatest pass rusher the franchise has ever seen. You talk about – Steve Kime netted a top three quarterback in the history of the franchise and a, maybe the best edge rusher ever, both in trades. Um, and again, people talk about setting the bar low. Uh, you got to start somewhere with this franchise. So I, I totally agree, Rick. I, I think Chandler's getting in. Yep. Chandler is a guy who should be getting in, I think, as long as he, you know, is productive. Um, the one that I have as far as if I had to pick like a pick for who would be the next one to go into the ring of honor uh, at some point, I could see Bill Bidwell. Uh, Michael's father going in because of the longtime ownership of the team. I know some fans at least had issues with how he owned the team, but you take a look at not just the move from Chicago to St. Louis, but then also the move from St. Louis to Arizona and the build up of a lot of those things, a lot of the areas that were there. It took the Cardinals 
a long time to basically get out of that type of dungeon. Some of that was Michael, and that's where I think Michael ends up being the guy who will get credit. But I could see Bill just because of the history being an owner for all of that, at least. I think that that is going to be a case where he may be the next name in, especially if you're taking about with um, his advanced age. Were you talking about with Bill Bidwell? Like right now, he's not in day-to-day operations. Uh, he's 87 years old. I don't even know how often he goes to the games for that one. Um, but he's been, you know, the sole owner since the 1970s. His brother, Charles, was already into the uh, – either brother or father. I know Charles Bidwell's already in the Ring of Honor. I could see Bill being the next person who goes in just because it makes a lot of sense with the team. Um, you could also take a look at – I know we already mentioned Jackie Smith. I mentioned briefly Larry Centers. He's one who probably could be into the Ring of Honor. Um, the two that are interesting that I'll ask about because they're – Two that I think are maybe not bubble, but they would be Neil Lomax and Otis Anderson. Lomax had a shortened career. Anderson, you know, he ended up, I believe, winning a Super Bowl with another team, but he was a productive player while he was on the Cardinals. Those two are bubble ones. The one that seems to be the most definite, honestly, that a lot of Cardinals fans will say is retired player, was a four-time pro bowler, had a huge impact on the team and the culture. And as far as for a dynamic person, that kind of sums up and as far as a face for the Arizona Cardinals would be for fullback Ron Wolfley would seem to be the next one that I could see being a ring of honor member. John, would you agree with Wolfley going into the ring of honor? He's well known from being a broadcaster on the radio show. Is this someone who the Cardinals should have for the ring of honor as a member, or is this someone who maybe doesn't typify that type of player the Cardinals are looking for? What are your thoughts on that? Hey, yeah, I think it's a little strange and maybe awkward he works for the franchise, has for so long, and they, they've opted just to, to not put him in. And Adrian um, Wilson's in, and Adrian Wilson you know, works for the team as well. It, it's yeah. a little bit bizarre. <laughs> Adrian, Adrian was certainly a better player on the field, uh, and, but Wolfley was a, a special team you know, standout for the majority of the 80s. Now I can't say I watched those teams. So I, don't, I think his presence, based on the, the fact that you can't really watch you know, YouTube highlights of him, I don't, I don't know if there's a sense of urgency to put him in. I think they feel like they can do that when they feel like it. Uh, I think the biggest omission, um, you know, for me, based on, you know, studying the history of this franchise and leading on my dad is, is Otis Anderson. Otis Anderson was the uh, standout rookie of the year at 1,600 yards as a rookie. Um, every season he was with the team outside of two, which I believe was like nine with the, with the Cardinals, uh, rushed for over 1,000 yards. I mean, he was a, a physical specimen that um, has, you know, a, a sneaky, decent Hall of Fame chance. He's not going to get in at this point, but over 10,000 yards rushing, 81 touchdowns in his career, Did, didn't win a Super Bowl for Bill Parcells and, and the New York Giants. I, I Again, it's one of those instances in which he had success with another team. Maybe the Cardinals view that as a negative. I mean, at this point, guys don't finish their career with one team, but that was one of the earliest instances. Uh, went on and had a nice career with the Giants, but to me, I mean, like, he is the best runner in the history of the Cardinal franchise. And I know right. that the Cardinals have not had great running backs, but he was a great running back. I think he was on the all eighties team in terms of the running backs, um, you know, focused or was like second team, all eighties running backs. I mean, he's a really, really good player, former. Um, I think he was like a top 10 pick, a top five pick from the university of Miami and came in and just, that was, those are the days in which, you know, you got full grown men coming out of college had, yeah. had put their time in at the college level and look, and he looked like a man amongst boys coming into the NFL. If you watch old highlights of Otis Anderson, I mean, he he would take over games. He had a, a, a game against Dallas as a rookie when the Cardinals played uh, against, essentially played in the NFC East. 
and just tore them to shreds and, and really helped uh, levitate them to, to national respectability. And so uh, I think to me, dating back to probably the early portion of the 80s, I think he is the biggest omission. Um, I think there's still going to be plenty of time for Anquan Bolden to get in. Um, but you, you start to look at some of these guys like Jackie Smith and Otis Anderson, and you wonder, you know, with the fact that they were part of a different era of Cardinal football, a different city in its entirety, you know, the Cardinals, do they feel like they need to honor them or should? Um, because I think, I think Michael Bidwell, and this is just me guessing, affiliates the St. Louis Cardinals and a lot of those players to not their fault, but I think they he affiliates them as a losing franchise. And I think it's easier for him to celebrate the guys like Carson Palmer who have brought this, this team success so quickly. And I don't think that's mm. fair to those players, but I, that's just my sinking inclination. And also the team left St. Louis on bad terms. Yeah. They wanted a new stadium. They, they felt like they deserved one. The city would not give them one. And so, you know, again, that's not the fault of the players and the Cardinals have had those players back at the university of Phoenix stadium, now state farm stadium. But again, Something, something is just off with that. Jackie Smith, Otis Anderson should be in the ring of honor. Um, and for whatever reason, they're not. I think it just has something to do with St. Louis. I, I could see that because especially when you're talking about fan perception, when you're talking about the Arizona Cardinals, like my generation, the, this generation of fans, even the previous generation of fans, people like your dad, people like Walter Mitchell, who joined the Revenge of the Birds podcast last week, uh, a great listen if you didn't get a chance to hear it, um, just from you know his stay of being able to go back and he grew up on the Cardinals watching Larry Wilson and that was his favorite player. And when you talk about that era of football, it's just not something that exists with the current Cardinals. The, they haven't had a ring of honor uh, member, at least who's, you know, in the last few years who has uh, outside of Jim Hart, I believe was um, one of the previous ones, but they, really haven't had a whole lot. It's been mostly a focus on Arizona and the Arizona Cardinals. And so I think I agree with you. Um, that reason why I could see Wolfley obviously getting in is because he's such a part of the current Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. As both a broadcaster and all that. He's, you know, around the team every single day. I think that it's going to be a matter of time. Um, as far as that now, the one that is left, this is an interesting thing. Walter, um, he had an awesome article that was on Revenge of the Birds where he made a case for two more who should go in and the, uh, th this is fascinating because his argument for that is something that I could see this being even more controversial perhaps than a Carson Palmer because neither of them played for the team. Cardinals have never had a coach go into their ring of honor. The closest you probably could argue for is even a Don Coriel, but he was not a guy who had his impact with the Cardinals. He more had the impact with the San Diego Chargers and is in kind of the Chargers Hall of Fame. He argued that when you take a look at them, and the lack of success that the Cardinals have had overall with their coaches as a franchise, uh, his argument was, hey, there's no other Cardinals coach that's in the ring of honor. Most of the Cardinals coaches are under 500. And when you take a look at Ken Wisenhunt and you take a look at Bruce Arians, they're both got into the playoffs for that one. They're the only kind of playoff coaches that you have besides Vince Tobin. There's only three who have ever done it. The only two coaches have won the NFC West title, Ken Wisenhunt and Bruce Arians. Only one coach of them has a winning percentage above 500 in the playoffs, got the team to a Super Bowl in Ken Wisenhunt, and Bruce Arians has 50 wins and is the only coach with an above 500 winning percentage. Both of them now are still active NFL coaches, Wiz with the Chargers as a coordinator. Arians came back after retirement to coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Um, our, Walter argued that they should be inducted together as kind of these, the best two coaches in Cardinals history. You talk about, you know, for all the flack that people gave Wiz, still ultimately a stand-up guy, well-respected around the league. He's done a lot. Bruce Arians with his charity having such a huge impact in the Arizona area as well with the Arians Family Foundation. Um, still very beloved by Cardinals and a lot of Cardinals fans, even though the Wiz and Hunt terms ended poorly overall, people still are just love to look back on that magical 2008 season. John, do you think that both of these coaches should go into the Cardinals ring of honor upon their retirement or are we looking kind of where we shouldn't be looking here? Yeah, I think that's, that's a tough one. I, I think Arians gets in. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, I think that he's somebody that helped change the culture in the franchise. Wizenhunt for me, Blake, and I, I believe that was the other coach that you'd mentioned. Wizenhunt for me, they had that spurt of success with Kurt Warner, but then once Kurt Warner left, they, they could not win games, period, end of story. Bruce Arians won 11 games with Carson Palmer in 2014, but essentially with backups as well. I mean, he, he had a very nice run of success with Drew Stanton. Palmer was not great in 2013. Bruce Arians won so many games he really shouldn't – had no business winning. His last season going 8-8 eight and 5-3 eight and five and three with Stanton and Lane Gabbert, I mean, that, that was a work of genius. Arians should absolutely get in bar none. I think he's the greatest coach in the history of the franchise outside of Don Coryell. I mean, they're, you know, they're both, they're both innovators. They're both great. Arians probably should have gotten an opportunity to coach sooner. And I hope he, he uh, continues to succeed in Tampa. Wisden Hunt for me uh, is, is a no in the sense that, you know, his season of success, his two seasons were such outliers because of Kurt Warner. Um, and he had a hand in the personnel after Warner retired and again, it's it's a little bit of what plagued Arians toward the latter half of his career with the Cardinals is they couldn't find a quarterback in the draft that they liked that they could pull the trigger on. Mm-hmm. Wisenhunt had a chance based on his health, not like Bruce Arians, his age being young, his success with the Steelers. He had a chance to, to be a staple within this franchise for a long time. Um, his relationship with Michael Bidwell, you know, Rod Graves at least showed he was a competent GM. But he and the offensive line coach, who shall not be named during that era with Ken Wisenhunt, um, Russ Grimm, I'll go ahead and name him. Um, the the Cardinals, the Cardinals really had a chance to succeed for a long time, especially that, that season, um, that I think they, the division that was won with like seven and nine that year with Seattle, Wisenhunt's last year. I think, I think Wisenhunt, is is a career coordinator i think if he had success outside of arizona with tennessee with san diego as a head coach i think that it would have made more sense but i i think we've seen it kurt warner was the reason they won games while wisenhunt was here and wisenhunt did a good job steering the ship kind of as a game he was almost like a game manager of a coach and Warner was played the heroics, right? Is the kind of the opposite of the game manager quarterback, and you've got a great coach that elevates that 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 game manager quarterback. I think it was kind of like the opposite. And so um, Wisenhunt to me, I think is is borderline. He's in that Dansby group, but again, I don't think he he should go in. I think if he was going to go in, maybe he'd go in by now. Maybe they're waiting for his his coaching career to be done. I think Arians gets in the minute he he hangs it up for good. You give it like a two or three year buffer. And I think I think I think Arians is going to go down as one of the greatest coaches in the history of Arizona sports. Period. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting because Arians, now that he's still an active head coach with the Bucks, like I, it, it, his longevity with the Bucks will probably be the biggest question I think that you'll have um, with this. Like, it's hard for us to see at his age with the health and everything for him to coach for four years or so at age 62. Um, it seems like more of he's going to be a transitional guy to be able to come in for the team, kind of get them onto the right, right the ship in incessant, and then hopefully he can build up enough of a culture to hand it off to a Byron Leftwich or maybe even a Todd Bowles and keep kind of that train going. That seems to be kind of the plan where Tampa wants to – in essence, do what the Arizona Cardinals plan did and do what kind of the Cardinals didn't with Bruce Arians, um, which is, it's interesting in that sense. I think that the Cardinals wanted to go in a slightly different direction after BA more that they, you know, they didn't see an option on the staff as far as they didn't want to promote Byron Leftwich. They didn't end up seeing um, as much opportunity with James Betcher, who we wanted. Todd Bowles was still a head coach for, the Jets at the time. Uh, ironically, I was Freddie Kitchens who ended up becoming a head coach out of that entire group. Um, perhaps things would have gone a little differently had he been able to be the guy, but Cardinals for whatever reason did, didn't have the highest thoughts of him, despite the fact he was there for 12 years or so. And he's now uh, with Baker Mayfield and the Browns. So I think that that's a, a tough one to be able to figure out. It's, 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 to my opinion, it's a lot easier to make that call for Bruce Arians and it is for Ken Wisenhunt for the same reasons you mentioned. I think that essentially you'd be crowning Wisenhunt for that Super Bowl trip in that essence for the Ring of Honor. Don't know if that's enough for me. So I think that depending on how it goes with the Bucks, let's say Bruce Arians is there for three years or so, however things turn out for the most part, he retires and the Cardinals say, hey, you know, like it's been a few years for that one. You're our winningest head coach still. Um, I could see it happening. I think I would put it as a maybe versus as a yes. I would myself say I would probably be able to be okay with putting him in, but I, I would have too many people that I would put in for this list overall. So, but for me, it's easier to put a Bruce Arians in than it is to put in a Jake Plummer because the Jake Plummer, you look at a lot of the stuff with the career and it was inconsistent. He had some cases where he threw, I think 24 interceptions in a season was like one of the worst quarterbacks the next season. He went like, tons of games without throwing a single interception and then was down the next season, ended up moving to the Broncos. And then they replaced Jake Plummer with their own version of Jake Plummer and Jay Cutler, although Plummer for the most part has been much more of a kind of stand up, uh, stand up person as far as in the community. Uh, there's a news story. I know that someone talked about how for uh, feeding the homeless truck that was, you know, wanting him or was kind of upset with him for not following through with his commitment. He's like, okay, I'm sorry. And then they're like, who is this shaggy haired bearded weirdo anyway? And they looked it up and found out he was a famous NFL star and Jake Plummer were like shocked by that. So I could see that being the case at least, but for the most part with them having Pat Tillman in the hall, it's kind of in the hall of feels like in the hall of very good for that one. So Arians I'd put between on that bubble between the hall, of the ring of honor and kind of the Cardinals ring of very good. And with Ken Wisenhunt, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I don't think that he makes it in for the most part. So, um, yeah, I, who are – I don't know. Other fans can shout out if there's other names that are there. Feel free to be able to tweet at us for the most part. Um, let's wrap up tonight, talk a little bit about some of the other news. We've already talked about the Cardinals with the positions, with the offensive line. We've talked about the wide receivers. Uh, we know Byron Murphy's already running with the ones as, and impressing as a slot corner I think that's going to be a great fit for him around the NFL the biggest thing is we always kind of talk about is look at some of the other quarterbacks and to me it's kind of a tale of tale of kind of two stories the biggest one we have is Carson Wentz as of tonight June 6 gets his deal from the Philadelphia Eagles, essentially a $148 million contract. That's going to be kind of the basis for Jared Goff with when his contract 
extension comes up, but should the Rams decide to, you know, if the Rams don't decide to move on or think that they can fill it in with anyone within Sean McVay's system. And for Patrick Mahomes setting up to be the first ever $200 million paid quarterback. Uh, John, what does this mean if let's say that Kyler Murray is all he's cracked up to be? What does this mean for Kyler Murray if, you know, he does end up getting to his second contract? And that obviously is going to be the first steps because as we haven't seen it happen with Steve Kime. I don't even know if we've seen it with most Cardinals quarterbacks throughout their entire history. But what do you think this means as far as with the Arizona Cardinals and the rest of the quarterback market? Yeah, it would be unprecedented. We have not seen the Cardinals give out a second quarterback contract um, to a quarterback that they've drafted and developed because they've never done it ever in the history of the franchise. They've never drafted and developed a franchise quarterback. Um, if you want to count Neil Lomax, I, I think that that's, that's probably the only instance. And, and I think Jim Hart was undrafted. Uh, Neil Lomax was a second round pick. And then of course, Jake Plummer uh, didn't stick around long enough. So it would be unprecedented. Uh, I think the Cardinals would open it, open open to it because you, it means that you've hit on Kyler Murray. But, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes could get $200 million. Wentz, of course, with the big money deal. I, I, think, you're in, I think you're in a position in which, like, if these guys pan out, you're happy to pay them. I think the toughest, tougher job is, like, if you're Mitch Trubisky in the Chicago Bears or to a lesser mm. extent, like Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys were like, you like them, you want to keep them around, but like, are they, are they worth the kind of money that you're going to have to pay them? I think the Rams are asking themselves that with Jared Goff now. But I think Trubisky to me is the kind of the example like this year. If he has another good season but can clearly not carry that team, like what do you do in that instance? You're trapped, you have to pay them, and then the team starts to struggle because you can't pay anybody else. Wentz has shown you he can carry a franchise when he's healthy. Should have won the MVP before his injury. Mahomes can elevate just about anybody. We knew that going into the draft process, coincidentally. Um, Kyler Murray, if he has that ability, if he's the spectacular playmaker that we hope he is uh, and can elevate players outside of. And I think that that's what helps him more than anything is if can he overcome a poor offensive line with his mobility, his arm strength can make up for, you know, the lack of consistency from some wide receivers. Kyler projects is the kind of player who you do not need elite talent around to, to play elite, if that makes sense, whereas other individuals do. And so if he continues to grow as a pocket passer, which we hope he will, the biggest question, if he can stay healthy, the Cardinals are going to be in a good position. And Michael Bidwell is not cheap. You can say a lot about the Cardinal franchise Mm -hmm. and the Bidwell's in general. Michael Bidwell gave, 60, 70 million to Kevin Cobb wanting that to work out. He gave big money to Carson Palmer. He gave good money to Kurt Warner. Like the Cardinals pay when the, when the product is there to be had um, and the success is there. So uh, I think if things pan out in five years, we're talking extension for Kyler Murray and and goodness, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kyler Murray's contract, I would think at that point will easily eclipse $200 million. Yep. That was where I was kind of driving to. And it's going to be interesting to watch how that goes. Obviously your goal is to take one step at a time before projecting too much. And, but my, my hope is that Kyler Murray, is the type of quarterback when they say, yeah, just write the blank check. Is That's what my hope is. That's what your hope is, John. That's what every Cardinals fan should hope for. On that note of the other side of the quarterbacks, um, as we wrap up with our last uh, focal point tonight, we're checking in with the Miami Dolphins. And reports out of Dolphins OTAs so far, Ryan Fitzpatrick still, at least for the most part, clearly ahead of Josh Rosen. 
Uh, he's been there with the team longer. He's a veteran. Rosen's a second-year player. Um, John, this is kind of the first time I think you've shown at least some concern, however, about Josh Rosen, more than some Dolphins writers and Dolphins fans have. Um, but what was kind of your thoughts at least with just seeing that? Is this more of a wait and see until camp? Is this a spot where you think there is some legit concerns at least about with Rosen in Miami? Uh, yeah, I have concerns. I think that the, we would have seen him by now, him starting to separate himself, and I know it's early. But, I mean, we've seen Fitzpatrick have a good amount of success in this league. Rosen hasn't had any, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact he's been surrounded by incompetence, coaching, and personnel alike. I don't know how good of a coach Brian Flores is. I like Jim Caldwell, and, we, and um, you know, I think he can do some do good do some good things for him as the quarterback's coach, but the personnel in Miami is not good. And I think that they're going to need a quarterback to potentially elevate them that has experience in this league. I, you know, I expect Fitzpatrick to start at this point. It's unfortunate. I think the only way that Fitzpatrick does not continue to play throughout the duration of the season is either through injury or he was benched last season for Jameis. I think if they get it, yeah, they get to, picks. right. They have to stay semi-competitive early. I think they're going to get into a position where they feel like they have to win a couple games. They win a couple games, one or two, so they're not going to go potentially 0-16. Then you can say, okay, let's see what we have in Josh Rosen. He's going to play at some point. They want to see what they have because they're going to have a top five pick, you would think. And so we got to we got to see: is this somebody we think we can build around where we can pass on a quarterback next year? My guess is at this point, it's going to be no, unless Rosen comes out and wins a bunch of games for them. And I can't see that happening with that roster. I hope it happens for his sake. I can't see that happening with the, with that roster. Uh, I think it's going to be a scenario in which Rosen, it could be on his third team in three years next year. And it's, it's really unfortunate because I do believe with the right, we talked about Carson Palmer, if he had ended up with a competent franchise coming out, things could have been way different for him. Poor, you know, I feel bad for Rosen. But at the same time, you know, his ability, unlike somebody like Kyler Murray, is not to elevate to a different kind of level. He needs stuff to go right around him. And I do think he's got elite traits, especially at the intermediate passing game. But, you know, going to a team like Miami, you hate to say it, they're almost in a worse position than the Cardinals were last year. And certainly Fitzpatrick is way better than any quarterback the Cardinals had on the roster last year. So it's, it's going to be tough for him, Blake. I hate to say it. Yeah, I'd agree that the concern is more of if you have one year where you're a rookie, Sam Bradford outplays you in camp, you're clearly the better you know, talent on the field when it comes down to it and where Bradford had to get benched and move on to the rookie. But if it's two years in a row where you're not just being the guy who's able to take over and show up in camp and you're a top 10 pick, that's where I'd have concern. I do think we want to wait for training camp and then wait for the regular season as well. Um, the concern I think is if Rosen doesn't step forward, cement himself at least as being starter and a franchise quarterback, you just got to wonder if he's going to end up becoming one of these journeyman guys that you'll ask what if, or who just hasn't panned out. And that's going to be the one spot where my, my fear with him going to Miami was I would have loved to have seen him go to the Chargers or the Patriots to sit, to be able to learn, have a lot of, in place, and then being able to take over for a veteran quarterback. Um, we saw how much that did for Patrick Mahomes in his first year. He sat and then was able to win the MVP. Cardinals never had that luxury due to the poor infrastructure, but it'll be something we'll watch, especially because, you know, these two quarterbacks, they're from different drafts, Rosen and Murray, but they're going to be linked together for essentially their entire careers. All right, that'll wrap it up for us on this podcast here. I um, just wanted to give a shout-out. I know there's been a couple of people, at least. Um, shout-out with Garrett, some other people I know have met this week, at least, who listened to the podcast faithfully. Thank you guys so much for that as well. It does mean a lot to us for being uh, – 
for being able to um, support us and support the Arizona Cardinals. We want to provide this content for you. Wanted to also make sure that we didn't pass by without giving a little bit of a another shout out to our armed forces. We had our Memorial Day weekend and we're recording this on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Um, so just a big thank you to all of the servicemen and servicewomen who bravely fought and died on behalf of the country. Um, for those of you who are related or know people who were part of the D-Day invasion, um, just <laughs> take our metaphorical hats off to you. Um, we'll honor you at least for everything and all the sacrifices that are made for that one. All those things matter at least a lot more than a game played between the, the gridiron on a, a Sunday, obviously, and keeping those priorities straight. Uh, as we wrap it up, John, where can the uh, audience find you if they want to follow you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm come interact with us. We love to discuss anything and everything Cardinals and football related. I am at Johnny's Football, or excuse me, no longer at Johnny's Football. I got old habits die hard. I'm at Johnny <laughs> Touchdown, J O H N N Y Touchdown, all uh, one word. Blake, where can they find you and your content? Yeah, it'll be at Revenge of the Birds online for that written content and at Blake Murphy 7 for my Twitter account. Yeah, tweet me and Johnny, who are your other uh, other Cardinals athletes who you would love to see in the Ring of Honor? Send us those tweets. We'd love to see it, especially if it's you know someone we've forgotten, someone who's outside of the box. We'd love to hear it. Uh, again, you can always find all of our shows on uh, revengeofthebirds.com as well as listening on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play Podcasts, Spotify Radio. Uh, Himalaya is a new app that's out for podcasts. It's got a lot of people I know have been tuning into that as well as Stitcher Radio and uh, that'll just about do it for us. Thank you again for joining us folks. We'll see you next time. Go Cards!